couldn't let my dad listen to it. Because you yeah. lied. I was like, hey, dad, I'm not going to be on the debris. <laughs> Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. Every weekend, Pastor Matt is taking your questions that come up from the sermons, and uh, also here on the podcast, I'm your good, friendly host, Justin Party. Back in action again here in the side seat, we got Melody Workman. Hey, hey. And PMB in the house. Holding it down. Pastor Matt, we have Melody back here two weeks in a row. Uh, any word of advice or encouragement you would give to her? Oh, no. Yeah. Second week Don't in a row. screw it up. Okay. Keep, keep, keep <laughs> things tight. Don't screw it up. Sounds great. Is exhortation one of your spiritual yes, gifts? Gift of encouragement. Huh. Some, I'm, some people call me Barnabas. <laughs> <laughs> Son of encouragement. Good job to you guys uh, laughing. Anyone who also got those jokes, that means you've been following along with the debrief pretty well, and you can uh, get those little Bible nerd jokes. Congratulations to you. Everybody else, don't worry. We're going to bring you in right now, as is our favorite thing to do. Speaking of favorite things to do, one of mine is reading y'all's five-star reviews that you leave for us in the iTunes store. If you have never thought about leaving us a review, listen to me right now. Think about it, please. And then uh, take action on those thoughts. Head on over to iTunes, search the debrief, and then just type up a nice little review. We got three awesome reviews. This first one is from Sega89. Yes. PMB's analogies make a world of difference when trying to <laughs> understand the words coming out of your mouth from quoted in Chris Tucker style. Do, out of your mouth. Yeah, he says, do you understand the words that are coming out of your mouth? <laughs> but I felt afraid to go there in the initial reading of the review because nobody else knew that I, it was Chris Tucker. Sorry if I didn't live up to your hopes and dreams with that review, Sega 89. <laughs> but uh, Pastor Matt, Sega 89 likes your analogies. Yes, and I loved the Sega in 1989. <laughs> <It was> awesome. <laughs> okay, this one comes from Ron Father. Sorry, Melody, you're left out of this review. Because, okay. But it says, the PMB, PRD, and Skeen are a joy to listen to on the way to work. Did he say Skeen? Yeah, Skeen, yeah. S-K-E-M. I like that. So right now, Ron Father's on his way to work. Right now, man, we just want to say, keep it up. Hope you had a great Labor Day celebrating the fact that you work hard all the time and uh, enjoy your work today. Insight, wisdom, and banter are not in short supply with this group. The Keeping It Real Mafia was what we Whoa. got called. The Keeping It Real Mafia. Hmm. Boom. And one more from P.P. Taylor, whose who's username, I am a, I'm a grown-up man. I think I'm 35 years old. Could be 34, but I can't say P.P. Taylor without just chuckling a little bit. Sorry, P.P. or Taylor. This podcast is just what I needed and more. I love to praise and worship in the car, but sometimes you just want to hear the word, and this is perfect. Yes. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, we love your reviews, but that's not what we're here for. What if we did a whole episode that was just reading reviews? I awesome. would probably not come. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I would feel left out, but I would be here to support Stephanie. That is true. Yes. Well, we are here for your questions. So if you guys have questions and you want to send them in to get them on the show, you can head on over to sandalsearch.com slash the debrief. Click the big red button that says ask a question or look us up on Facebook and uh, send us a message. We'll get your question on the show here. The first one comes from Art. This uh, question is about circumcision. It started off pretty long, but we trimmed it down a little bit. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. I see what you did there. Just working on that joke for like a week, guys. Always yeah. pray for the females. Exactly. All right, here we go from Art. I hate to dwell on a subject as painful as circumcision, and I don't want to wish, or and I don't want to make Stephanie, your case, Melody, squirm, but I have questions. That's my favorite <laughs> part. In Acts 10 episode, you leaned, Pastor Matt, toward flat out obeying God's original command for this act of obedience. But in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, for in Christ, Jesus neither 
Circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This seems similar to animals being declared clean by Christ when presented to Peter in Acts 10. Should present day followers of Christ be circumcised? Yeah, great question, and thanks for that. And so a couple things here. The Apostle Paul writes that letter to Galatians before the controversy of circumcision is settled in Acts 15. And so, no, a believer does not need to be circumcised. It does not have any value for salvation. However, the point I was trying to make is if you're a Jewish person, why continue to tick off your Jewish relatives uh, any any more than just you know uh, leaving your Jewish faith and following Christ? I would say it's a good thing as a Jewish person to continue in that tradition. For example, after Acts 15, after the council decides you don't have to be circumcised, the apostle Paul takes Timothy, whose father is Greek and mother is Jewish, and he circumcises him, even after they've made the decision that you don't need to do this. And so what the reason that he does this is so that it's not an additional stumbling block to the Jewish people that he's gonna preach the gospel to. And so what's most important is understanding that we wanna see people be saved. And so if, you know, you throwing down the gauntlet and saying circumcision is of no value and that's going to keep people from Christ, then that becomes a problem. And so we need to make sure that we don't create cultural barriers for people following Jesus. And that's what the apostle Paul did. So circumcision does not add any value to salvation or not salvation. Where it adds value is, you know, is me being circumcised going to help me reach my Jewish brothers and sisters uh, who are not yet in Christ? And so if the answer is yes, then be circumcised. So I don't know if you know, that's an answer. But. Sounds like more than just the specific topic of circumcision, this is a an opportunity to think about other things beyond that, just cult, uh, uh, approaching people culturally, right? Because there doesn't seem like a ton of context where in the context of sharing the good news of Jesus, somebody's going to pause and ask me as a man, have you been circumcised? Right. Yeah. That would cause a big problem. Yeah, that would be an odd conversation, maybe <laughs> at the gym in the shower, but, you know. Right. Well, that's anyways, what I was wondering yeah. about Timothy. But yeah. something that would happen on. to you. Well, as a <laughs> yeah. grown man... It would, I guess maybe it could have been a topic of conversation for Timothy and Paul in Acts chapter 16 when we get there. There may have been some culture encounter where you would see a person in that position. Those are far and few between in our culture, but in that culture. But just specifically like his question about meat, like for example, you just got back from India. I went to India in the state that we were both in, eating beef is illegal. Mm -hmm. It's a stumbling block for Hindus. So even though I have the freedom to eat beef when I'm there, I'm not going to intentionally offend Hindus because I want to see them come to Christ. So I'm going to eat vegetarian dishes uh, and not eat beef. And it was fine. I did fine. I'm pretty sure you did fine. And it it was a great time there. And so we can't get all caught up in our freedom so that it keeps other people from experiencing the freedom in Christ. And so I think that's what that passage is talking about, faith working itself out in love. So in uh, Timothy's case, faith working itself out in love meant get circumcised because we want to reach our Jewish brothers for Christ, so. Hmm. Cool. I love beef, that would be hard for me. Yeah, no no beef at all in that whole entire state. I don't know if that's true in all of India, but in the, the region that we were in, it's not allowed. Wow. Well, this question comes from Nick. He says, you've touched on the subject of purgatory in the past, and you seem to have suggested that there's something to the idea. I don't fully understand how that fits into our faith as Protestants. Would you mind expanding on this topic a bit more? Yeah, so Protestants includes larger than just what we understand as American evangelicals. And so we just need to understand that the church is larger just than sandals and its theology and its perspective. So within the context of Christianity, both the uh, the church the church of England in America, we call them the Episcopal church. And then the Catholic church believe in a thing called purgatory, where that is that after um, a person dies, there may be a chance for them to kind of come to Christ 
uh, after death. As evangelicals, we disagree with that. I disagree with that. All I'm merely stating is you need to understand that within the context of Christianity, there are disagreements on this issue. Um, if you're looking to study that, it's found in the book of Second Maccabees, which is not in our Bible, but it's in the Catholic Bible, mm-hmm. where um, it seems to indicate that we can do things to help people um, move on to the next level um, after they've died. I don't agree with that, but it is an idea that floats around within Christianity. The most famous Christian that would have held that belief would be C.S. Lewis, fairly smart guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, he writes a great book called The Great Divorce, which actually discusses in detail this idea of purgatory and where people actually choose forever to go to heaven or to hell. I believe the scripture indicates that after the death comes the judgment. So there's not an intermediate state of waiting or a period of waiting, but you immediately stand before God and your eternity is sealed after your last breath on earth. So that's all I'm saying. So uh, you're right, our theology is probably the same, but there are people who are brilliant like uh, N.T. Wright, for example, mm-hmm. nowadays, who's a great uh, Christian scholar, would agree with C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis, and then many great, amazing Catholic uh, scholars. I'm not aware of any evangelicals that hold to purgatory, but we just need to not exclude them from Christianity because we have a disagreement on this idea of a secondary state. So that's all I'm saying. Great, great question, and appreciate that. Okay, so this next question is not really follow-up, but I love it, so we're going to go there anyway. This one comes from Mayte. Hi, I am 13 and have always wanted to know, did dinosaurs exist before or after Adam and Eve? Also, how long did Jesus live after he rose from the dead? Yeah, great question. I love to hear from our young people. That's awesome that you're taking some time, Mayte, to listen to this. I'm so proud you could be listening to Taylor Swift, but instead you listen to us. So that's awesome. So I'm excited about that. Um First of all, dinosaur questions, you know, that's another controversial issue. You know, how old is the earth? Some Christians hold to the fact that the earth is only 6,000 years old. Uh, I do not religiously hold to that view. I believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is a specific act of creation. And then Genesis 1-2 begins to describe a secondary act of creation. And so the question is, what does the word uh, tov mahov mean, which is the Hebrew word, that's not, I'm not pronouncing it right. We'll come back next week with the correct pronounce. It's like tohu, tohu wobohu. There we go. That's, right. that's well, the Hebrew, tohu wobohu. Um, so that's how you say it. Sorry, I had to dig into the archives of my mind to recount that Hebrew because it's not in front of me. So tohu wobohu, we translate the earth was null and void. The same word tohu wobohu is used to describe Israel when Jeremiah is watching it burn down. Same exact word. So was was Israel uh, null and void? No, it was burning down. It was wild. It was no longer suitable for the people of Israel to live there. And so what I think Genesis 1-2 is telling us is the earth is not suitable for man. Why? There's big lizards with big teeth who will eat us. And so God is going to prepare the earth to be a suitable place for us. So did God create it? Absolutely. He made it but he did it over a period of time. And so I don't have a problem with God working through an evolutionary process. That doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Some Christians go nuts. Uh, and we need to remember that Genesis chapter one and two are written in poetry and for the purpose of teaching Israel their rhythms of life. And, and Moses is doing that in a context to teach him why they work six days and rest on the seventh day and where they get their values and who they are and as they identify their life after God. So uh, some people in our church may hold to, um, you know, Uh, six literal day creation. Some people might even hold to a a young earth. I just think that those are 
stances that we don't need to hold to. So where were the dinosaurs? They were on earth. The earth was wild. The earth was crazy. Uh, Genesis chapter one speaks of the great Leviathan who swims in the sea and uh, is a very, very scary thing. I saw that in Jurassic World. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what it was. So thank you for your biblical content. Justin is always... (laughs) enlightening us with his Hollywood background. You got it. So, so I believe the dinosaurs were here before us. Um, you know, there are some archeological records, you know, you'll have a human footprint and a dinosaur footprint on the same thing. I'm not an archeologist. Save that question for your, your science teachers. But that, that's what I think. So the next question is, was how old is Jesus? Or how, how long did Jesus live after he rose right. from yeah. the dead? Right. So, well, he was on earth for 40 days. So for 40 days, he appeared to the disciples periodically teaching them, eating with them. He liked fish tacos. He was always like to eat. Apparently he's hungry. Dying takes it out of you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, but the answer is he's still alive. So Jesus is now- He's still going. Yeah, he, he's still alive. He's still in human. He's still in his human body. It's a resurrected body. So Jesus has been alive now for um, you know almost 2000 years in a physical body. It's a supernatural physical body, but it is a physical body. So great question. Uh, for more information on humans and dinosaurs, please see The Good Dinosaur, where humans are first discovered by dinosaurs. Really great. It's another movie plug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a great book um, by a professor, and we need to pray for him. His name is Dr. Selheimer. He's uh, struggling from um, some real, real diseases that affect his brain. He's no longer able to communicate, but he wrote a book called Genesis Unbound, and it's out of print. I had to pay like 300 bucks for my book, but if you can Whoa. find it somewhere on Amazon, I would snatch that up. And it's just trying to understand the book of Genesis from a perspective that holds to scientific principles that we learn in school. Fantastic, fantastic book. Genesis Unbound by Dr. Selhammer. So I think you spell that S-A-I-L. I have no Hammer. idea how to spell it. I think it's S-A-I-L-H-A-M-M-E-R for those of you Bible nerds out there. Yeah. We're going to try and take him We up. can put it on my Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Pastor Matt Brown, and I'll put it on there. But say a prayer for him uh, this week as he continues to um, struggle. Got it. We got one last follow-up question from Jordan. Yeah, she says, you said we should all be ready and prepared to lead someone to Christ. My husband's not a believer yet, but we've been tending his sandals for several months. I have faith that he will become a believer when he's ready. How can I be prepared to lead him or anyone else for that matter to Christ if and when he decides to make that choice? I was a child when I gave my life to Jesus and I don't remember exactly what was said and done. Yeah, exactly. So our, our specific words are not nearly as important as the intention of our heart. And so that's mm. the first thing. So you don't need to remember, you know, as Christians, this isn't, we're not Harry Potter, right? So in, in Harry Potter, the power is in the words that you say, the specific words in the order that you say, that's called magic. That's not what the Bible teaches mm-hmm. or believes in. What God is interested in is, is the intention of our heart. So when your husband's heart is ready, whatever words come out of his mouth, God's gonna go with. Um, for example, the thief on the cross said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus was like, good. Got there's it. no mission of repentance. There's no, there's no mention of you know, specific faith in Christ. He doesn't lead him through a prayer. They certainly don't get off the cross and baptize him. He's good because the intention of his heart was, you know, he was repenting of his sins in some way and he was believing in Christ in some way and that was good. So for the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, the first thing that needs to happen is there needs to be an admission of guilt. I have sinned and I need to repent of that. And so I need to apologize to God like I'm guilty. And so I'm sorry, God, that I've lived my life my way, that I've not acknowledged you. I've not pleased you. I've not been perfect in the way that you have created me to be. And so I'm sorry for that. And I'm going to believe that the sacrifice of Jesus, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and the death of Jesus Christ alone 
can save me. So Jesus pays the penalty for my sins. And so if I repent of my sins and I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then I'm saved. And so you can just lead him in that and talk about how to tell God you're sorry and talk about what Jesus Christ did for him on the cross. And then when he's ready to do that, man, bring him to church. We have all kinds of people that would love to talk to him about maybe how to lead him through a specific prayer uh, if you don't feel confident in doing that. And then we can take him through a great, great class um, here at church called- The Path path Group. The Path Group, yeah, Path Groups. It would be fantastic where he can really solidify his faith. But how exciting, first of all, that he's coming. Make sure you tell him how grateful you are and how much that means to you that he comes. I mean, what a testimony of his love for you Mm -hmm. that he's coming to church with you because he loves you. And so what a mm-hmm. fantastic guy and what a fantastic example of even from a non-Christian guy of how to love your wife. So I really, really am grateful for him. Great really question. Cool. Thanks for that, Jordan. We will be praying for your husband. Please let us know how that goes. That's really, really cool. Well, that's all the follow-up. So now it is time to jump into Acts chapter 12. This was a really awesome uh, kind of compare and contrast sermon. And you talked a lot about prayer uh, this weekend. And it starts off in Acts 12 with a section where James is killed but Peter is locked up in jail. Verses one through two say, about the time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. Now you said he would have been probably beheaded. So here's the question. Was James the first of the 12 apostles to be martyred? And then do you think that the early believers and Christians would have assumed that James would have had some type of special protection from God? Yeah, so those are two great questions. So yes, James is the first apostle that's been killed. And absolutely, they would have thought they would have had some kind of special protection because all throughout the book of Acts, you know, for almost uh, eight chapters now, we've been seeing persecution. We've seen uh, Stephen persecuted. We've seen uh, actually killed. Uh, We've seen the church persecuted over and over and over again. The apostle Paul or or Saul at that time, um, chasing people down, arresting them and bringing them before trial as um, you know, criminals. So we've seen this, but for whatever reason, the apostles have uh, not experienced this reality. And so just kind of out of nowhere, this new king shows up, King Herod, um, not Herod the Great, uh, but Herod Agrippa. And uh, he's kind of a kind of a squirrely little dude, mm-hmm. but he arrests James for whatever reason. We don't know the context of that, but he decides politically that it's advantageous to him to persecute the minority of the Jews. Why? So that he can endear himself to the majority of Jewish people there. And so he kills James and they really like it. Mm. And so some period of time later, he finds out where Peter is and he says, look, if I can kill James, who would have been one of the most famous of the apostles, if I can kill him and everybody loves us, what would happen if I arrest the head? You know, I mean, Peter is the head of the church Mm -hmm. at this time. And so he has him arrested because he's gonna think, hey, this is gonna give me even more political clout with the Jews as I rule and lead them. And so um, I just think we need to remember as believers, a lot of us think we can do whatever we want and there are no consequences and God protects us. And we just need to, we need to realize that death comes to us all, even to Jesus, even Jesus died and now James has died. And so we have to be wise in the way that we live with you know the way we eat and exercising and not being an idiot in our cars or motorcycles and you know just assuming that God will protect us. We need to exercise wisdom in our lives Otherwise, we can find ourselves dying. Mm. Good stuff. While Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Um, So Josh says, in past sermons, you've stated that prayer is not a conversation, but it's God hearing from you. If God ultimately calls the shots and prayer is just him hearing from you, how does prayer actually change things? Yeah, absolutely. So again, prayer is the reason why I say that prayer is not a conversation because a lot of people don't hear 
a voice back from God. I've heard a voice back from God. That happens occasionally, but it is not the norm. It's a miraculous thing when God chooses to speak to you. So that's why I don't like the word conversation. Mm -hmm. Prayer is God hearing from us, which is what the church did here. The church is freaked out because the first apostle has now been killed. They probably would have thought that there's some kind of supernatural protection over all of the apostles. Oh my gosh, what does this mean? Has God abandoned us? And so they go to God in prayer and they start crying out to him for God to intervene. And so here's what I would say is, as as Christians, we're human beings, we're subject to you know, disease, we're subject to accidents, we're subject to um, you know, divorce and all, you know, losing our jobs and everything else that can happen to anybody else, we, we are subject to those things. You know, Jesus never promised that we wouldn't suffer. He promised that he would be with us during suffering. However, from time to time, according to God's own will, when his church cries out and asks him to intervene, he does. Mm. And so we need to understand that, that, um, you know, God, we don't understand exactly how God's will works. It seems to be that things are fixed and Peter is marching toward his death, but the church cries out and God intervenes on behalf, I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever for Luke to say that the church prayed on Peter's behalf if God just decides James is gonna die, Peter's gonna live. There seems to be an indication here, mm -hmm. according to Luke, that the prayers of the people resulted mm -hmm. in a very, very real change, in a miraculous change. And so that's why we pray is God does not is not obligated whatsoever to hear, heal our kid from cancer, to save our marriage, to, you know, uh, prevent us from losing our job or experiencing financial collapse. But every now and then, if in some way our request um, interacts with his will and is a part of his will, he intervenes and we experience something incredibly miraculous. Most of the time, you're gonna go through it. Yeah. You're mm -hmm. gonna go through it like everybody else. But sometimes God does something truly amazing. And we don't know why that is, but he does it. And so I think it's foolish for us to not engage God when there's something that we want. So it feels like to me in Christian circles, prayer is hugely misunderstood because of verses like asking it shall be given to you, faith is small of a mustard seed, you can yeah. move a mountain. So how do we how do we like rectify those two things together? That this is what the Bible says, and yet these are things that still happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, the apostle Paul who does great miracles, um, incredible miracles, you know, um, all the same miracles that the, the apostles did. I mean, he, the, he says when he comes and he preaches the gospel that he came not just with word, but in power. So we can assume that, you know, um, he's able to, you know, raise the dead. He's able to perform miraculous signs. He's, he's able to do incredible things. Just the same things that Peter does, like when he brings Dorcas back from life a couple chapters ago. But he tells Peter, or excuse me, he tells Timothy when Timothy's struggling from stomach issues, he says, drink a little wine for your stomach. So what's he saying? We've prayed, we've gone to the Lord on mm -hmm. behalf of you, but for whatever reason, God has not intervened. And so what we want you to do is take steps of, of wisdom. And so some churches, some Christians, well-meaning Christians won't allow their kids to have blood transfusions, won't allow their kids to undergo chemotherapy, won't let their kids have surgery or anybody else have surgery because you know it's in God's hands. And that's just so absolutely sad. You know, Go to God, but also do everything that you can mm -hmm. um, to try to do what you can do to remain healthy. And so I think as Christians, we need to understand that God tells us to ask. And so I think James has the clarifying verse. Look, if you don't ask, you're never gonna get. Mm -hmm. But then he says in that same verse, but if you don't get it, it's because you're asking because of the wrong motives. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's even more than that. We're asking for something that's not good for us. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was in high school, there was this girl that I just was totally in love with and I just prayed, 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 prayed that she would be the one. <laughs> 
And I was so mad at God that she wasn't the one. And I am so grateful <laughs> that she was not the one. Preach. Yeah, preach it because, oh my goodness, man, <laughs> my life would, would not be great. And what God had for me ultimately was so much better. Yeah. And so, you know, God's not going to um, give in to our silly requests. However, in the book of Psalms, I believe it's verse 60, it says that God gave in to the requests of the Israelites when they cried out for meat. Mm. And God's like, oh, you want meat? And it says, I can't remember what verse it is. I think it's like Psalm 60, verse six. I'm pulling this out of the uh, the library in the back of my head. But I think God says that he gave them meat and yet he starved their souls. Wow. And so, because what what they were saying is, I don't wanna have faith in you. I want you to fix my problem. Mm. And God said, fine, I'm gonna fix your problem and I'm gonna feed your belly, but I'm gonna starve your soul. And so we gotta be careful because sometimes we can ask and yeah. ask and ask. Like for example, in Romans one, we're gonna get to get the book of Romans next year. In Romans one, the Bible says that, that men and women crave sex so deeply that God gave them over to a depraved mind. He said, not only do you get what you want, but I'm gonna let it affect your mind. And mm. so we gotta be careful that we don't just rail against God in anger because he didn't give us what I wanted because sometimes he releases us to our own desires. And that's a very, very dangerous thing. So this is, I think, is an area where we need to grow in our personal relationship with God. We need to be surrounded by other mature Christians who have some more experience with us, who can help us navigate the truth of those scriptures. Yes, God can do miracles. Usually, you know, it's why we call them miracles. We don't call them everydayers, right? right? We don't call them, you know, normals. It's like, hey, God did a normal in my life. They're miraculous mm -hmm. because it's not the normal thing. Typically when Christians are arrested and thrown in prison to be beheaded, they're beheaded. Yep. That's what happens. James's life is the norm. So, you know, when you're diagnosed with, you know, stage four cancer, what usually happens statistically in six to 12 months, you'll be dead. However, sometimes when we go before God to pray mm. and we ask, God intervenes and somebody is miraculously healed and their life is extended. Why not ask? Yeah. I'm going to ask. Yep. So... Okay, I have a quick question on this whole thing. How do we balance accepting that God is not going to do a miracle every single time or give us what we want every single time, but also really press into the challenge you laid out in your sermon this weekend, which is to pray more actively um, and even talk to God about things that we wouldn't necessarily a little bit more. So how do we balance that? those two things, praying, praying more, but also expecting less. I don't know if that's a fair way to categorize that. Yeah, again, and so I, I've said this, I can't remember what sermon it was, but the primary purpose of prayer is to change you, not mm -hmm. God. And we and, and so we just need to understand that. And I talked about this week, a lot of us as Christians, we forget who God is and who we are. And we think we're the parent and he's the child. And that's the way we talk to him. And we're like a demanding, spoiled child. It's a great analogy. And I think we need to humble ourselves as a respectful, loving child who realizes that every good gift we've ever gotten in our life has come from God. Every single good thing that we experience, you know, love, joy, gifts, family, um, you know, every moment, a sunset, a beautiful redwood tree, whatever it is that you've experienced where you're just like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing, all of those things have come from God. So God has overwhelmingly blessed us. We have overwhelmingly screwed up and messed up and mm -hmm. fallen short. And then what does God do? He forgives us through yeah. faith in Christ. So God is good. So what I think we, you know, what we got to do is we just have to balance that. Look, God is good and I got to trust him in that process. And ultimately I've got to love him even when he doesn't give me what I want. Mm. Because, 
if God, if God always gives you what you want, then he's a genie in your bottle. And again, the relationship is twisted. So you had two parts to your question. I don't know if I got No, I think, I think that was good. And here's what I took away is this, I, it's almost like cha- working to change my expectation of prayer, that it's not about getting what I want necessarily, but really about developing my relationship with God. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. And ultimately, right, God tells Peter he's, he's going to die. Remember? So he prophesies. Mm-hmm. He sees into the future and he says, Peter, you're going to be led away when you don't want to be and your hands are going to be bound. And Peter ultimately is going to be crucified upside down. That's what's going to happen to him. It just wasn't that moment yet. God's will, right? God told him he would be crucified. What is uh, Herod going to do to him? He's going to cut his head off. Mm-hmm. That wasn't, that's, not, that's not the way in which you're going to die. And so God's will intervened and circumvented this process of death that Herod thought he was going to bring about. And in a minute, you know, in this chapter, God's going to deal with Herod. Okay, so uh, as we move on, I found Psalm 106.15 says, God gave them what they wanted, but sent a plague along with it. I think that's the closest. So Psalm yeah. 106 is a good example of what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. I think that is it. Yes. Okay. okay. So I had the six. Sorry. Sounds good. All right. So close. here we go. Let's talk about Peter's miraculous escape from prison in verses six through 11. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains, not the wrapper, between two soldiers. <laughs> Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the angels uh, and the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angels told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him and Peter finally came to his senses. Peter seems to be going along for the ride without much question, but he also seems a bit foggy. How did he know he was following God and how can we discern that for ourselves? Well, he, he says he didn't know he was following God. He, he thought he was having a dream. Mm-hmm. However, I would say this, you know, if you're imprisoned, handcuffed between two scary dudes, half naked, um, and suddenly, miraculously, you get kicked on the side by a bright, shiny object and the handcuffs are released and all of a sudden doors start opening and everybody's asleep, pretty sure you're following God. So <laughs> I, I, I think that this is a, a real easy way to discern. The primary way that you need to discern whether or not you're following God is, you know, you need to know scripture because scripture is the primary way. Number two, you need to be surrounded by wise people who know scripture so they can help you because even Christians can discern, you know, it can falsely discern and say, well, um, I'm following God's will. I mean, the book of Psalms also says, Lord, keep me from lying to myself. We can, the, the primary person we deceive is ourselves. So we need community to help us discern whether or not this is the will of God. So those are the two things. What does God's word say? And then what does God, what does God's people say who know God's word? Those are the two primary ways that we we need to figure this out. I think you're a danger to yourself when you become your own little church, yeah. you're your own little bishop, your own little choir, you know, and your own little Sunday school or whatever, and you're making all of the decisions by yourself and you think you know. I think that's a very, very scary thing. I mean, back to, you know, why don't I rip on people who believe in purgatory? Because the church is bigger than just me. Hmm. And so I might disagree theologically, but I'm gonna I, I'm gonna respect N.T. Wright and I'm gonna respect you know uh, C.S. Lewis because these guys have processed and prayed through these right. things. I may not a, agree specifically with their conclusion, but I, I'm going to invite them and their voices to speak into my life, mm-hmm. into my faith. Okay, so verses 12 through 14, when Peter realized he was out of prison, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. 
When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. So these people were all here praying earnestly for Peter. Why did they have such little faith that he could have been actually standing out there at the door? Because they're just like us. <laughs> okay. I mean, they're just, right, they're just like us. I mean, it's the thing, you know, that's so amazing to me is I have prayed over people on their deathbed and seen God do miraculous miracles. And then the very next sick, per- sick person, I lack faith. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so absolutely frustrating um, to me that um, that I struggle believing, you know, this whole church is a testimony to God's faithfulness and God's answer to prayers. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people come to this church, they see this big building and they don't realize it started with a 26-year-old guy who hadn't even graduated seminary knocking on doors in the wood streets. Mm-hmm. That's how this church started. Um, and God has been faithful. And it's just its just so easy, um, you know, to get caught up in, you know, what are the percentages? What are the statistics? You know, we can be so overly strategic that we forget that God intervenes. And so um, they're just like us, you know, and, and the reality is they're shaken up. I mean, James just got killed. We need yeah. to have a little grace for him. I mean, can you imagine if, um, mm. you know, one of our pastors, myself or somebody else was just murdered? I think we would all lack a little faith when we're praying for maybe somebody else who's battling cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine if like ISIS stormed into our church and I got decapitated, yeah. you know, in front of everybody? That would, uh, I think, hinder some people's faith. That yeah. would cause some questions in their personal prayer life. As does, you know, I think about, you know, that um, that family that just lost their two and a half year old. Mm-hmm. You know, we prayed and prayed and prayed for God to do a miracle and she died. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be hard in the future to pray and trust God because you have the reality of what just happened yeah. in the back of your mind. You know, here's the issue. we don't We don't know why. Some people die and some people don't. We don't know why James died and Peter lived. We're not God and we don't get to be God. The mm-hmm. apostle Paul says we think, see things now dimly lit. We have to continue to trust and continue to have faith. And again, here's the thing is, we need to look at the book of Acts. These people have seen God move in more powerful ways than we will probably ever see. Mm-hmm. And they still lack faith. Yeah. Just because you see miracles of God doesn't believe, be, mean that you believe at a deeper level. Mm. These people have seen God do miraculous things. Incredible things have taken place in this early church. Mm. They still struggle um, because they're human. Well, and I'm encouraged because this is the middle of the night when Peter gets to the house and they're praying. Yeah, you they're know? doing better than us, yeah. right? Yeah, that's yeah. true. They're doing better than the apostles did. Remember on the night Jesus was, yeah, they're they doing were like better like three than times. Peter did. Yeah, yeah, Peter's snoozing, man. Um, but Rhoda is like insistent because it's Peter and they say it must be his angel. So there's some Jewish teaching that your angel resembles you. Is that what led them to believe that this was Peter's angel? Yeah, th- that, that's part of it. Um, you got to remember the church is still figuring out, you know, her theology. They're figuring out her understanding and knowing God is, is, is a progressive process. Like when you read the book of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're figuring it out. You know, uh, then Moses is figuring it out. He gets the law. Then King David is figuring it out. Then the prophets are figuring it out. Then Jesus reveals it. And then even now, you know, the church has to figure it out, which is in Acts 15, we got to figure it out. And so, you know, some of their belief is still Jewish folklore. Uh, and the idea of a, like a guardian angel comes from an apocryphal book um, called um, Tobit. And in Tobit, it's a young man who has to go on a journey and an angel follows him and protects him and keeps him safe. And so it's considered an apocryphal book and that word means hidden. Uh, We do not have it in our Christian Bibles. If you're Catholic, it's in your Bible. Uh, And the reason we don't have it in our Bibles is when the Protestant Bible was put together, uh, the Jews had already met and it was rejected in the Masoretic text. So um, that was the final canonized version of the Jewish Bible. And so Mm -hmm. Protestants thought, well, 
If the Jews don't consider it scripture, then we're not going to include it in ours. Although some early Protestant Bibles had it in the back. Um, Nowadays, it's not even in the back. If you have your Catholic Bible, it is called deuterocanonical. Um, And so uh, it means second, secondary, you know, not um, quasi kind of, you know, um, Bible. It's like a second canon. So um, anyways, yeah, we, we may have a guardian angel. There's no biblical evidence to support that. Another way of translating it would be, it was his ghost. We might say it that way. His ghost is here, so he's dead. Yeah. And his ghost has appeared to us. And what it just says is they're willing to accept any crazy answer except for the fact that maybe God rescued him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and that's where we, and you know, and and that's where I think we are as Christians is we will always give doctors credit. We will give, um, you know, chance. We'll say something like, "Wow, you're really lucky." We'll say like anything that we can possibly say to not just say, "Oh my gosh." Mm-hmm. God has done an amazing miracle. Totally. And so poor Rhoda, man, she leaves Peter out there. And by the way, they're probably hunting for him at this time. Right. They he's realize he's gone. His pants. He needs to get in, <laughs> you know, because he's he, they want to kill him. And now he's escaped, which means surely he's going to die. And it's like, let me in, let me in. I'm yeah. going to get killed. I mean, how sad would that be to be freed by God, but then the church doesn't believe and then you're stabbed at the <laughs> gate because they wouldn't let you in the house. Oh, man. Yep. Poor Peter. I'm trying to avoid making a Star Wars reference right now, so we're going to keep moving on. Verses, I appreciate your verses, verses 16 through 17 uh, goes, you know, continues. Peter's out there, continues knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. So he motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. And he goes, tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. What James is Peter talking about here? Yeah, because one just got killed at right. the beginning. Okay, read it again. He says, tell James and the other brothers what happened. Yeah. So what's interesting here is in this verse, you know, Peter's going to flee from Jerusalem. He's leaving. The apostles have all probably scattered. Mm -hmm. So the other brothers is probably a reference, the first reference to appointed Jewish leadership within Jerusalem. So the apostles are spreading out because the persecution has now affected them. They have to leave and they've appointed local church leadership. And here is the official beginning of the transition in Jerusalem from Peter, who's basically been in charge up to this point, to now James, and this is the half-brother of Jesus. James is uh, the, the brother of John, son of, of thunder, um, that's mentioned in the Gospels. He's dead. So this is John who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. This is his brother is dead. Mm. And um, so now this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, takes on the mantle of leadership in the Jerusalem church. And as far as we know, he exercises you know, leadership for about the next 15 years before ultimately he's martyred and thrown off the temple uh, by the Jewish leadership. But, he, but you know, he dies for faith in his brother as well. But he becomes an incredible, incredible wise guy, writes the book of James, which is one of my favorite books, yeah. um, talking about how to work out faith and works and how those things work together. Got it. Okay, so verses 18 through 21, we hear kind of the aftermath of what happens when Peter uh, breaks out or whatever. Um, It says, at dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Now, Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. The delegates won the support of Blastus. Great name. 
so good. Yep, because I'm going to put you on assistant. Herod's <laughs> personal assistant, dude. That's going to be Stephanie's new name uh, here on the show. Yep. And an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. Okay, so is Herod upset at Tyre and Sidon for some reason we know about? Is he just angry that Peter disappeared? Any yeah. clue what's going on here? We don't know. So Tyre and Sidon were fishing villages uh, on the coast, and they would have been dependent on his rule in Galilee. If you've been to Galilee, it's kind of like Napa Valley. It's beautiful. Everything mm. grows there. Great vegetation. I mean, literally, they grow uh, um, bananas there. Like I've been there. There's all kinds of banana fields. It's very, very fertile. So he, basically, he controls all the food. This is a trade dispute. You know, this is like Donald Trump in Mexico, right? There's this trade dispute. Oh, wow. And so, um, you know, and Donald Trump's point is, right, America holds the cars, cards, why are we getting hosed? Well, um, and I'm not saying, I'm not being pro or against Donald Trump. Don't send in those debrief questions. <laughs> but the, it's, you know, the same thing is happening in po- politics is, is about who gets what, when, where, and how. And so King Herod is like, look, I control the food. You want to have a trade war with me? You can all starve and you won't get any bread. You know, fish is going to get old after a while when you're just eating fish. So there's some kind of trade war here. We don't have, there's no other reference in history to this argument, but nonetheless, they finally cave and they're going to show up and praise him and, and really go over the top saying, you're super awesome and we love you and we think you're amazing. Got it. And that happens here in verse 22. Yeah. And so the people give him a great ovation shouting, it's the voice of a God, not of a man. So is this genuine or are they sucking up, trying to stay out of trouble? Probably both. I would say some are genuine, some are sucking up, you know, just like in worship at church on the weekends, some are serious and some are just faking it. Right. So, uh, but nonetheless, they're all gathered there because they need him. And without without him, they're going to starve. And he like looks like angelic or something, like what yeah. he's dressed in. Yeah. So there's a, there's a whole other account uh, uh, about this very event, which is pretty cool because some people say, well, the Bible's made up. Well, there's a, a, a Jewish historian named Josephus who actually writes about this account. And so if you get to come to Israel with me, we're going to go uh, not next summer, but the summer of... 18. Mm-hmm. We're going to go back to Israel and I'll take you to this very theater where this event probably took place. It's beautiful. It's right on the coast. And so in Israel, the sun sets uh, over the Mediterranean Sea and it rises from uh, Saudi Arabia. So it comes from that way. So from like Syria, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, it comes that way. And they set this up so that the sun would rise. And as the sun comes over the stadium, it would have hit him standing on stage. And he had this outfit, like if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, think of Mithriel and everyone's all the, yep. the non-nerds yeah. are like, what? But Mithriel <laughs> is like this like fantastic, beautiful coat of armor. And so I got you, bro. he has something like that that's made out of silver. So it's spectacular. So the sun rises and it hits him and he looks like an angel. Whoa. And that's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're just like, oh my gosh, not only is he a great leader, but he's God-like, mm. he's God. And uh, that's when he gets in a little trouble. Okay, so verse 23 says, instantly an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving glory to God. So that's what you were just talking about here. But had Herod ever been giving glory to God sometime before this point? It seems like he'd consistently been not honoring God. Yeah, well, he's okay, he's down. been honoring the Jewish God. Here, here's the thing that's weird about Herod Agrippa is he was meticulous in following Jewish law. Hmm. Because uh, I think I said on Sunday that he is a Greek. He's not a Greek. He's an Edomite, okay, which non-Jewish, but he's he's an Edomite. He's not he's not Jewish. And actually part, part of the, uh, the, the thing of Passover was uh, the uh, king of Israel would stand up and read from the Torah. And the Torah, actually the passage of scripture that it would say was, you know, you can't, you can't have a bunch of wives. You can't take all the money. You can't take people's sons. And it, and it actually said, and you must be a child of Israel. Hmm. So he would have to read that out loud. 
So you can imagine how humiliating that is when you know you're, you're reading the qualifications, you know, like in America, yeah. to be the president of the United States, you must be born in America. You must be a natural born citizen. So he didn't meet that qualification. So he did everything he could to be super Jewish. And the people actually really appreciated him, the Jewish people, mm. because he was so devout to traditional Judaism. So he was good in that way, but he persecuted and went against the church really, really harshly so that he could uh, unify himself with the traditional Jews. And you mm -hmm. could understand why the circumcision party really likes him yeah. because he's saying, hey, this minority is getting out of control. So um, here he is, man, he, um, he stands up and he, what he should have done is he should have known better. He knows he's not God. He's an idiot. I mean, he's been thrown in prison by Emperor Caligula. The only reason that he's even king of Israel is because he's buddy buddies in elementary school with his friend Claudius. Mm -hmm. And uh, shout out to Claude, who's been on the debrief. That's where his name comes from, <laughs> Emperor Claudius. Um, but, uh, you know, he, God, has, God has blessed him. And what he does here is he gives no credit whatsoever to God, but actually receives himself as God-like. And God strikes him dead. And again, we talked about this, that there's another account in history of what took place. And the other account, they have some differences. They don't, don't say exactly the same thing. But the other account says that while he was on stage receiving glory, giving a speech to himself, he literally fell to the floor, writhing in pain, holding his side instantaneously. And then Josephus records this whole speech of repentance where he says, oh my gosh, I've blown it. Wow. I should have known better. I should have oh, never, really? oh yeah. I mean, it's this long drawn out confession on stage where he tells people he's, he's blown it. And he actually says, I shouldn't have done this. I should have wow. never taken you know, the glory of God or, or, or let you worship me as God. My life is forfeit. That's what he says as wow. they carry him off. So Luke says he died immediately. Josephus, the historian says that he writhed in pain five days in his bedroom and just died a horrifically painful death. So yeah, verse um, 23 here says he was consumed with worms and yeah, died. Yeah. This and makes we, me fearful for Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh, does he think he's God? Well, well, he thinks he's a lot of things. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> he's crazy. I think God knows it. But uh, sorry, Kanye fans. Um, but you know, we don't know what that means. It could mean he had a tapeworm and it ate through his intestines. He could have had appendicitis. We're not exactly sure what it was. What we know, it was a horrifically painful death. Yeah. Torturous death. And here's what's amazing is that is attested to by his historian. So it's not just Luke who says this right. happened. It's another historian. And so what that should give us as Christians is confidence to know that Luke's not just making stuff up, right? He has investigated this. He is saying, these are the things that happened. And we have another person who's not a Christian who says, yep, this happened. And Luke ties the event to the death of uh, James and the attempted murder of Peter. And then the acclamation that I'm God and God's like, oh no, you're not. Mm -hmm. I am. Oh my gosh. And Justin Party just got fired. <laughs> Can't believe that that happened. Yeah. You know why that is? Because you have become self-consumed. This thing was literally <laughs> on silent. That's a, it's a mm, miracle. Maybe God's trying to tell you something. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> All right, so the, this whole deal closes out in verses uh, 24 through 25. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. So is Barnabas and Saul's mission to Jerusalem here the one they were sent on at the very end of the last chapter where they were taking supplies for the famine or money? It could have been. We're not exactly sure. The text is a little confusing because it seems to indicate that 
they're coming from their mission to Jerusalem. I think that's a great point. I've not read that anywhere. It's really, really difficult. Most What most scholars think though, is that it's actually a mission trip from Jerusalem. So they've mm. left Jerusalem and they've gone out on a mission trip. But yeah. I think that was a great, great point that you brought up, but I have not read that anywhere. Right. But um, it's pretty amazing though that um, what, what Luke is trying to show us here is that the Christian movement is still a Jewish movement. It is still tied, even though Antioch is going to become the sinning base, it is still tied to Judaism. And we need to understand that over the years that we are, I mean, we are a part of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the Jewish people. This is not something new. It is the continuous movement of God. Mm. And so, um, you know, Jesus was not trying to start a new religion. He was trying to fulfill Judaism. Mm -hmm. And we need to understand that, that God's heart was always for the Jewish people to experience. We're going to find out ultimately next week that, um, the Jewish people reject Christ. Mm. Um, and the apostle Paul says, I will go now full time to the Gentiles, which is you know, breaks the heart of God because he loves his people. Mm-hmm. Well, this was super good stuff. Hey, if you guys have questions um, coming up, we want to continue answering them as we work our way here through the end of the book of Acts. Paul's going to start traveling all over the place. We're going to see all kinds of cool stuff happening. So if you've got questions about that, maybe you've read ahead or whatever, please send them on in. We'd love to get them here on the show. Just go hit us up on our Facebook page, send us a message or go to sandalsearch.com slash the debrief. Yeah, and what I'm going to say is, we're going to be taking a trip next summer as a church. We're going to be going to the country of Turkey, Greece, and Rome. And we're going to be visiting many of the sites that we're going to be reading about for the next 10 weeks. So if you're interested, um, where can they go to at the Sandals Church website? You go to www.move.sc slash travel. That okay. gives you all the dates uh, for when those trips are, as well as two upcoming informational meetings if you want to learn a little bit more about what it looks like, how you can go on those, the costs and those kind yeah. of things. And it's gonna, slash yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I mean, we're actually going to go to the ancient cities where the gospel was preached. I wish we could go to Antioch, but so unfortunately cool. Antioch is right near where all that stuff with Syria is going on. Oh, yeah. um, but I would love to go there because, I mean, I mean that's the birthplace of the name of our faith. You know, yeah. Christians, we were named there. But we're going to be really, really close. We're going to go to Ephesus. We're going to go to Corinth. We're going to go to, um, we're going to see um, where Paul preached on Mars Hill to the Athenians. I oh, mean, wow. we're going to do all of those things. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to end up with a couple of days in Rome. It's going to be fantastic. So I realize it's a little pricey. I think it's right around four grand. That includes your airfare, your hotels, um, and your, usually it includes your breakfast and your dinners. The only thing you have to pay for is your lunches. So if you want to join us, it's going to be fantastic. It will blow your mind. Um, and then the next year, we're going to go back to Israel for those of you who want to join us. But it's going to be pretty cool to have studied the book of Acts. And we're going to be going to many of the sites that we're going to be talking about in the next 10 weeks. It's going to be awesome. So awesome. All that info is at move.se slash travel. So you can uh, pack your shiniest of silver shirts and head to Caesarea <laughs> with Pastor Matt. <laughs> just see what happens. See what happens. I wouldn't take that risk. Well, you know what? You can do it. Just don't tell people you're God. That's right. That's right. Uh, Melody, do you have a sweet inspirational quote you can close us out here with? Because we got to get Pastor Matt's thoughts on some beautiful inspiration. Well, it's not sweet, but it really kind of fits me. Which you gave me. <laughs> oh, no, now I'm nervous. <laughs> no, it's clean. I promise. But it's really, it's more of a prayer. Um, but it really does speak to who I am. It says, God, give me also patience. For if you just give me strength, I will punch people in the face. <laughs> that was really good. And that is you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But God's changing me. Yeah, slowly. <laughs> I have no comment in between either of you right now. I just want to smile in both y'all's direction. It's Jersey Shore of me. <laughs> <laughs>